Hello. In this episode, Francis Cosway and I talk about why, when, and how you can use interior designers. Francis is an interior designer herself. She's the principal of White Pebble Interiors, and she's the author of Your Forever Home. And she has some awesome insight to share so that you can determine if an interior designer would be useful to have on your project and how and when you can get them involved. So let's dive in. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Now, before we dive into this episode, I'd love to take a moment to tell you all about a self-study online program that's been created to accompany this season of the podcast, and it's called Interior Design 101. Dreaming, planning, and choosing the interior design finishes and items in your home. It's honestly one of the fantastic highlights of any renovation or new build. And yet it can also be a minefield of options, confusion, and overwhelm. Whether you're renovating or building new, if you're like most homeowners, you'll have a Pinterest board full of inspiration for your future home. And you'll have ideas, so many ideas, about the styles you prefer and the types of finishes and furnishings you want around you in your future finished home. But with the mountain of options available, do you know what will really deliver durability, timeless design, functionality and affordability for your home's interior? Would you like to simplify those choices and have total clarity and confidence that your interior design will help create your beautiful, functional, feel-good home? That's exactly why Interior Design 101 was created. As Francis, my other guests and I, as we dived into all this information about interior design, I realized there was going to be loads of extra support and information that you know, could really help you as the homeowner that just wouldn't work in the all audio format of a podcast season. Interior Design 101 is a self-study DIY program. It contains the full version of all interviews from the podcast, uh, their video versions as well, plus extra content specifically created for Interior Design 101. There's also full transcripts, there's checklists, there's guides, and so much good stuff to support you in the interior design of your renovation, new home, or a smaller project. This program has been designed to help you gain clarity and confidence in all those selections and decisions that you need to make for the finish fixtures, colours and materials and items that you'll be living with every day. So if you'd like to learn more, head to www.interiordesign101.com.au and that's with the numbers, the numerals, 101. So it's interiordesign101.com.au and I'll pop a link for that in the show notes as well. Now let's kick off with our episode. Look, so many homeowners are confused about if they need an interior designer or if they want one when they're best to bring them on board. I actually know some architects who see interior designers as superfluous. And then there's other architects and designers who just see them as really helpful in dealing with and documenting all the tile and the color selections because it's not something that they're interested in doing. I've had homeowners tell me that they'd wish that they brought one on board to narrow down their decision making so that they didn't get 
so overwhelmed. And it wasn't until they just started researching all the finishes that they'd need to decide on that they realized just how many options were available. I recall one homeowner saying to me that she actually wished that she'd hired an interior designer just so that she could, uh, she wanted, she said it just would have been great to be able to brief them of all the things that, you know, she loved and she didn't love. And then the interior designer could go out and could bring her just the top three selections of everything. And also then keep an eye on making sure that all of the selections were going to work together holistically, because that's the bit that as a homeowner, she found particularly exhausting in her project. Another homeowner told me that she very quickly got overwhelmed by what I personally call the five millimetre decisions. You know, the how much does my bench top need to overhang? Where should I put the handles on this cupboard front? How do I get all the materials to meet and interact neatly in a beautiful way? And, you know, a lot of these decisions involve looking at something that's less than one centimetre in size, and that can get very quickly overwhelming for the uninitiated. Added to this, the fact that the interior design uh, industry is unregulated. So unlike architecture, where there's very clear rules for what someone has to do uh, or qualify in in order to call themselves an architect versus, say, a building designer or a draftsperson, interior design is not like this. Anyone can call themselves an interior designer. You don't have to have specific qualifications and you can have interior designers, interior decorators and interior stylists. I've professionally worked with uh, interior designers in many different ways, from having them as external consultants within a project through to them being fellow teammates within the same business, through to being in businesses that didn't want to use them at all. So given Frances's experience in the interior design industry, I was really keen to hear her thoughts on what she recommended when it comes to choosing and working with interior designers and where and how she sees her work happening best and adding the most value to a homeowner and their project. In this interview, we also talk about the differences between the various types of roles in the industry and how to choose and know the professional that you're working with is actually what you need and when to get them involved in your project. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Well, Francis, it's fantastic to have you here and I'm so excited to be diving into this season with you because I know we are going to really, I suppose, lift the lid on a lot of things that often only sit inside that one-to-one relationship that a homeowner might have with their uh, interior designer and that sometimes people just don't get the benefit of at all because they're navigating this blindly and on their own and they believe it's something that's quite straightforward, but it's not until you start to scratch the surface you understand just how big the world of interior design can be, particularly when it comes to your home and all of the minutiae of decisions that you have to make in terms of the, the spaces and the places that you arrange around you around yourself. So perhaps we could start just by talking about what what someone actually has to do in order to be able to call themselves an interior designer. Because you and I have spoken a bit about this before and I've spoken about this with other interior designers, ones that I know have done a lot of training to have to be able to call themselves that, yet I know that it's also a little bit, it's it's not as transparent as some people might like to think it is when they hire an interior designer, what they're actually expecting to get. So what do you, what do you say about what somebody has to do to call themselves an interior designer? Well, I suppose the first thing is um, that the industry in Australia is not regulated. Um, and so um, in the UK and in America, it's a lot more regulated than what it is here and you need to have done specific um, training. So in Australia, and I actually looked at the um, Design Institute of Australia's website to see what they said about interior designers as, as well. And I suppose the biggest uh, thing is 
if you know you don't have to call you you don't have to have studied in Australia to call yourself an interior designer. Having said that, if you haven't studied but you've got years and years and years of experience, um, I do know people that have gone down that path and they've been um, accepted into the Design Institute of Australia basically on their experience alone and no formal study. Having said that, um, you know, an interior designer will have done a degree or a diploma in interior design and that's really covering not only the things that I suppose we think about with interior designers like furniture and, and those sorts of things, but I suppose some of the key things are around um, the modification of the interior structure. So how you can actually um, use space planning and design elements and not just what I call colours and shapes. So you're really looking at, um, you know, the traffic flow, um, the construction in, in certain parts from an interior perspective and your fixtures and furnishings. So some of the obvious things and then some of the not so obvious things. Yeah, I, and I think that it's it's quite interesting that it's not a terminology like, like for example, architect, where you go, okay, if, if I'm speaking to an architect, I know that they've had to jump through all of these hoops in order to be able to call themselves that. It sort of falls into that bucket of building designer or even draftsperson where you don't, you don't really know because it's not regulated. So I suppose for homeowners, they really need to understand what to look for, the kinds of questions to ask and how to check that somebody's actually got the experience that they're seeking when they say, well, I'm an interior designer and I'm, you know, this is what I can offer. So so, um, and, and I suppose further to that, Amelia, is if you are an interior designer, you I mean, because it covers such a broad range um, of areas, um, most interior designers will specialise in one area. So they may be, for example, commercial or property development, or they may just do residential. And I do know some interior designers that do both, but generally they will go and specialise. Even aged care has such different regulations around it. They basically do a deep dive and that, that's what they specialise in. So I suppose for homeowners, it is around asking a lot of questions, having looking at previous work, really looking at their um, credentials and, and also how, I mean, we'll talk about this as, as well, but um, even though they may not have studied, I mean, definitely the study is going to give them a, a really good background, but really look at their experience. Um, have they just started or have they really been in the industry for a long time? Yeah, and again, you and I were talking about this off air, that thing of I, I see people, a lot of people transitioning from one kind of um, they might have been an event planner or something like that and then they transition into interior design and they get given, you know, clients like what they do and they just get given more and more responsibility for more and more of a project without necessarily having uh, the background in terms of the technical understanding or the detailed understanding of Australian standards or um, some of the specific legislative requirements that they might need to be tackling if they're dealing with construction, with builders, with documentation, with approvals. And so it can be, you can love someone's style and you can love someone's aesthetic, but if they don't have, if they don't have those credentials, as you say, and that experience of understanding just the machinations of getting something built or renovated from a, from a standards and a construction point of view, that can get really hairy very quickly in terms of what you might expose yourself to for risk and for long-term durability and for approvals and that type of thing. So it's one of those things I really encourage homeowners. Um, I think interior designers, where, uh, when they're experienced and knowledgeable and uh, very well-versed in construction methodology and in the practice of that what the 
field or niche they work in, they're an incredible asset to have on a team. And uh, but you've got to find the right one. So now, can we talk through? Because there's obviously lots of other layers of terminology. We've got interior designers, but we've also got interior decorators, and we've now got a lot of stylists, interior stylists on the in the market as well. What what do you see the differences are between these different sort of titles of professions? As, as a really high level, I see the difference as a decorator is someone that's dealing with soft furnishings. So that's like your fabrics, your window treatments. Um, they're going to be looking at your furniture. And I suppose it's sort of after the build is finished, your decorator will come in and I suppose do those finishing touches. Um, and then again, at high level, a designer is going to be looking at your hard surfaces, your materials, um, your joinery design, um, and they'll also be looking at flow and space planning and functionality throughout that build, but then they can also use that from a decorating perspective as well, i.e. your furniture placement and things like that. A decorator will, and, a, and a designer will overlap in those areas. And let's not forget that the designer will also be proficient in being a decorator as well. They'll have, stu- um, uh, sorry, they'll have studied in that area. So they can do the space planning and the functionality and the hard surfaces as well as all the soft furnishes. What I do uh, see, though, is a lot of designers will do one or the other. They prefer to do one or the other, but they can encompass all of those areas. And then I suppose a stylist, which is, and we were talking about this off air as well, is it's sort of become a new buzzword and it, it is more difficult to differentiate between a decorator and a stylist. Um, And I suppose a way to maybe define that is that a stylist is more looking at temporary things, things that you can move around in the home rather than furniture and window treatments. So it's more accessorising. And a stylist is also someone that would be used for magazine shoots. Um, You know, there's food stylists. So it's more getting things, how are they looking at making things look just right? And I suppose if you like someone's style, it could be because they're a stylist or it could be because they're a decorator and the way they've set up the house, or it could be the designer who is, you know, created a bathroom and that's using all the hard surfaces. There's no soft furnishings in there at all. And hopefully that sort of describes a little bit the differences between those three. Yeah, well, I think that that it's really interesting that you bring up that kind of idea of magazines because, I, I, you know, I've been talking about this on the podcast previously in terms of just what we see through the worlds of Pinterest and reality TV and the online world of renovating and building. And for me, it is that stylist piece that is just so, – it's the integral difference between the real-life project and the reality TV or the glossy magazine. You get this stylized finish to the experience and to the home that becomes very aspirational for a lot of homeowners but probably Probably isn't the reality of living day to day in a space, and when you and when you see what has what a, a magazine stylist does to make a home magazine worthy for all the photo shoots, you know I've told this story before that I had I had a client who wanted to get their house photographed. That was a you know really beautiful house that was really well designed. They they'd had decorated. They lived quite in a minimalist way, so you know it wasn't there wasn't was not a lot of clutter. You know really carefully chosen pieces on the wall, really carefully chosen pieces of furniture. Had little kids, so it was all about kind of living really functionally and in this fantastic kind of really beautiful living environment. And the magazine stylist said, "Sorry, we just have to bring too much stuff in to make that photograph worthy." And it's like. 
are you kidding me? Like what, what, you know, so we're being fed this diet of stuff yeah, that isn't and it's, real. It's also because specific magazines are after very specific things. They're after a particular look. And look, my house was photographed for house and garden. And, you know, it's even down to whether you're allowed to wear shoes or not uh, in, in the photography. But I had, um, th- they didn't really bring in much furniture, but the way they created, um, you know, plants that weren't really there or, and, and the way the furniture was placed to make it photo ready was completely different to how that, that, that furniture could logically be placed in that home to make it livable. So the the way those photos are, conju- even the, the fact that where they had plants and things like that right in front of the toilet, where you couldn't even get to the toilet, but in the photo, it looked amazing. So that is all a stylish job. It's making it photo ready and it's completely different to real estate photography as well. Um, it, it's totally different. So, and I know that they had assistants outside my kitchen window with palm trees in pots and all holding it up to make the view outside the window be completely different than what was there. It needed to be lush and, um, and and they covered up some of, you know, I had mirrors and things and they covered that up with, with other pieces of artwork. So they know what the editors are looking for and, and then they basically go and create this look that sort of is part house, part what the magazine wants. So, yeah, but that's an amazing story from you with regards to a friend, that beautiful house and, they didn't trash my place from that regard. I kept, most of the things stayed. It was just a couple of things here and there, but I was really surprised. But it's, I think it's really important for people to know when you're looking at these images, this is not actually what is really going on and it's not what you – you really should be well it's not it's not idealistic in terms of what you want to idealize for because it's not functional yeah. you know but, so yeah and that's right it's not functional that's my biggest problem with it and it's so aspirational it's not realistic and i suppose it's almost thinking about um all the airbrush photos of people we see you know we talk about we aspire to look like these women in photographs but they're so airbrushed it's so not realistic so it's a little bit similar to that um we have so gone off topic <laughs> Oh, good. Now, <laughs> I suspect that there will be a few tangents along the way with you yeah, and I yeah. chatting. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. There we go. That's the stylist in a nutshell. <laughs> and, and hopefully that also differentiates then the decorator from a stylist and the interior designer from a decorator. Yeah, and I think too that explains when you'd use an interior designer over an interior decorator or a stylist. When you're actually going and choosing an interior designer, how do you recommend you find one that you know you can rely on that will have all of that sort of technical understanding, give you good quality, you know, support and experience? Because I've not seen it be price-based. I've seen people who really don't have the technical ability charging very big money and people who are very, very fantastic and have a lot of, you know, experience in the nitty-gritty and will really help you specify durable long-term finishes for your home that will stand the test of time still being very affordable so what do you recommend people look for and how they should go about finding one and when and when in their project should they be looking for one okay so I'll start with the first part first which is how do you choose one I think the first thing is ask around people referrals so ask people that have used one in the past what's their experience been um, you know, particularly if it's a friend of yours, they may operate in a similar way, have similar expectations to you. So I think asking around and getting a referral is you'll get an honest response. The second thing is look at reviews. So that might be on a platform like House. They have a lot of reviews. Um, you could also look at testimonials on the designer's um, website or even on Google reviews. But I certainly think you should look at reviews and see how different people have found the experience of that person. 
look at their previous work. You can certainly pick or I can certainly tell if someone's been around for five minutes or someone's been around for a considerable amount of time. It's the way they present themselves, what's their catalogue of work that they've done. Um, that's certainly going to weigh up whether you think that they're an experienced designer or not or whether they, how long they've been around. And ask them, how long have you been in business for? Uh, and I do get people ask me that as well. So I think they're doing their due diligence. Um, the other thing I think is really important is meet, have a short list. And, you know, I, I do this for architects as well. I suggest this to my clients when they're looking for an architect too, is meet some people, meet, maybe meet three or four, because you need to connect with that person. I don't see how you can possibly have someone come into your home and trying to represent um, the things that you love and, and, and have, all, they need to understand you and you need to I suppose, you know, I get to really understand my client's life and I know when their kids are away and they're doing sporting and you sort of understand how those people work and that enables you then to understand the dynamics within that family. Um, so you need to click with that person. And I think if you don't have the right feeling about them, they're not going to be the interior designer for you. It's really, really important that re the relationship that you can uh, develop. So I definitely interview a few. Uh, and then in terms of when to get them involved, I always say as early as possible. And the reason I say that is a lot of people um, I find are not really in tune with just how much interior designer can get involved early on in the piece. Even with, you know, um, I mean, I call it at floor plan stage where sometimes I get involved even earlier than that and I assist in, in sourcing an architect or someone that's going to work with them because, of course, I work with those sorts of specialists all the time. But it's more that the interior designer will will dab in and out, will, will sort of come in and out of the, um, the project as is required. Um, so if you get them on early on, you are going to get their advice on functionality and flow and and the architect might be into that, but they not, might not be getting into the real nitty-gritty depending on the type of architect they are and, again, depending on the sort of interior designer that they are. But functionality and flow I think are so important, so get them in early so they can help you with that rather than at the end. I have quite a lot of people say to me, well, I won't need you right now because we haven't finished the build. I'm like, <laughs> uh, no, actually, you do need to get us involved much sooner than that because you know we're colors and shapes it's you know <laughs> the perception is it's colors and shapes so yeah there's, uh, there's so many misconceptions around what an interior designer does and I, I mean I've worked inside practices where um you know I worked inside uh design practices in Sydney where we didn't use interior designers at all as architects we did all of the specification from all of those interior finishes through to the main building elements and so kind of got very well trained up very early in my career in you know those five millimeter decisions right through to the five meter decisions you know and how how those play in together which I think as an architect was really good training ground for me when I you know when I went into practice in Brisbane we had interior designers within the architectural practice that I worked in and that was the same for Mervac there was big interior design teams inside Mervac and and the key was in the success of that relationship was that we understood where we kind of uh, both had expertise, we created as a team a really good level of communication with each other and with the client, and we really respected each other's contribution to that team as well. I find a lot of architects will, you know, I've worked with architects who call interior designers uh, cushion throwers, you know, they call them... <laughs> 
<laughs> they call them the curtain arrangers, you know, like it's just, and it's, and I think that it is this thing that's happened over particularly um, the white haired colleagues that I have. And I say that actually, I shouldn't say that because I have white hair underneath this brown hair, but <laughs> it's the, the 50 something, 60 something plus, um, you know, male counterparts who have had very established careers in architecture where interior designers were on the fringe and, and, and they've, they've seen the, their career of architecture get more and more specialized into these, you know, project managers and interior designers and interior decorators and, 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 uh, and it's broken down what an architect used to do in, you know, previous times into these areas of specialty. What I think is a huge opportunity for architects generally is that it means that you can bring a specialist onto your team, work really well with your homeowner to deliver a holistic approach. That means that as an architect, you don't have to get bogged down in stuff that isn't really your zone of genius, you know? So Especially if I don't like that stuff. I know yeah. a lot of architects are not interested in that. And again, it's the same as interior designers not necessarily wanting to do the decorating component. There are ones that want to do the whole lot. But the same with an architect, sometimes they're not really interested in all that. They want to do the building and the structure, but, you know, let someone else do the other things. And I suppose that is if the interior designers brought on early, they work as a team with the landscaper as well because that indoor-outdoor element is so important. So it's the architect, the builder and the landscaper I find um, is a great team to have when you're looking at it from a holistic, the whole site as a holistic approach rather than, you know, um, silos, rather than working in silos, I think the outcome's much, much better. I so agree. And I think too, there's things, you know, I remember I've had conversations with interior designers on a team where you'll be working through and they'll be going, well, I really think that'd be great if we added in a drop ceiling here, or we added in, you know, this type of lighting here, or we added in this element. And, you know, as an architect, you go, well, okay, we can do that, but the structure is going to have to do X, Y, and Z. And so all of that coordination is happening as things get developed, not in this, as you say, this siloed thing where you then, you know, I've seen, I've seen it go pear-shaped where an interior designer's come in and said, no, I want to drop the ceiling. And it's like, well, the architects got all furious because they're like, well, they don't understand that there's, you know, there's, this is happening and there's plumbing happening and there's a structural beam happening. And they throw their hands up in the air saying interior designers never understand how to build buildings. And it's like, well, no, that's not the case. It's just that we, you didn't all work together as a collaborative team. And so I think that as a homeowner, if you can understand, I keep saying this over and over again, renovating and building is a team sport. Where it goes pear-shaped is where you as the homeowner try to be the bridge between all the different silos that you're managing. And then when you're not well-versed in what it takes to build and renovate, you being the bridge can be where all the gaps fall and where all the all the stuff falls into the gaps between those silos that then causes you huge heartache and drama. So I think, you know, bringing that, I agree, bringing that interior designer on early is a really great thing to do. Now, lastly, I wanted to ask you, this is something I brought up in uh, season nine of the podcast about this desperation that I'm seeing happen more and more and more. And I'm actually wondering if it's linked to the world of stylists and, you know, I don't, I don't know, but it's just this desperation to give the aesthetic of your future desired home by at a new build or a renovation a style name as a means of communicating it to the potential designers that you're going to work with and I've you know I spoke in the podcast about how limiting I believe that is about how it can actually really derail what you want for your project particularly if you don't understand the holistic kind of nature of the style that you're asking for the history behind it the location specific um, elements the climatic elements you know all of those kind of layers of things and you know I I uh, 
spoke with Tara Dennis on the podcast some time ago as well. She's an interior designer based in the States, but also works in Australia. And she was illustrating the story of a man came to her and said, you know, I want a Tibetan I want a Tibetan style. And she's like, you don't want a Tibetan style. And he was like, no, no, I want a Tibetan style. That's what I want. So she gathered together images of a Tibetan style and showed him what Tibetan style actually looks like. And he was like, oh, no, you're right. I don't want a Tibetan style. (laughs) Because he'd not, like he'd sort of seen this image and that's what he'd appropriated and that's the name that he'd given it. And luckily she was experienced enough to go, let's dig a little deeper. Let's actually show you Let's and let's illustrate that that's not what you're asking for. So how do you go about working with homeowners who come to you this brief come to you with a style name come to you with this desire that's really driven on sort of this image that they have in their brain about what they want for their home to really unpack that and make sure that they're getting what they're actually wanting not just what they're saying they want so if someone comes to me and says oh i'm after hampton style it's a bit of a buzzword at the moment um for me it's really getting them to show me visuals of what they mean by that so i will actually say let's not worry about the name let's let's have a look at some of the things that you're gravitating to because once i see and so so for example i will ask a client to either gather uh, images from magazines or from pinterest or wherever and often they've already got a collation and when I, when I look at those images, I can see what they're gravitating to because generally speaking, unless it's super eclectic, they're really gravitating to a very similar style. And it doesn't really matter what that style's called. I can see what sort of things they're liking. And I'll also ask them questions. So what do you, is it the colours in there? Is it the style of furniture? Is it, um, is it the textures? Whatever it is, it's really digging down into what is it in there that they really like? And then it's not necessarily going to be that style per se. It's going to be, well, I could use any style as long as those elements are in there that they're really attracted to. And so I don't really use a style name because there's so many overlaps anyway. And I was talking to someone yesterday about I want a um, heritage um, sort of style but with a modern sort of bit in it. And that's not really a... You know, it's just, you know, you, once you start unpacking that, you'll realise that they want, ultimately, it's a nod to the heritage. They don't want it to be completely stark or very contemporary, but they're going to have a nod and it's how can you then implement that for them and it's not necessarily called anything per se either. So that's how I deal with that rather than um, putting them into a pigeonhole and saying this is going to be true Hampton style. Francis, that's fantastic. Well, I think that that's a great introduction to uh, the world of interior design. We're going to be diving in a heck of a lot more into specific topics across the coming episodes. I'm super excited. But thanks so much for uh, giving us an insight into what an interior design uh, does and how they can help you in your project. I do hope that you found that chat about interior designers and what they do and how and when they can help your project super helpful. So head to the show notes and you can grab links and resources mentioned in this episode and you'll also find out how to get in touch with Frances and White Pebble Interiors there or be able to check out her book, Your Forever Home. You'll also find a link to learn more about Interior Design 101, the self-study online program that will help you gain clarity and confidence for the interior design of your future home. 
In the next episode, Francis and I will be back talking about the top myths that we've seen homeowners think about interior design and interior designers. Busting these myths will help you get much better outcomes when choosing and working with your interior designer. As always, huge gratitude to you. Thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye.